Hello, and welcome to another episode of Escapa Fenella. I am so excited to be here with Akiva today. Akiva, tell me about yourself. Yes, I'm so excited to be here. First of all, thanks for having me on. So I am a financial planner and a financial educator. I kind of wear both hats in my life. And I specifically love working with millennials, Gen Z like me, basically us youngins just helping us get our money stuff together. And so I do this through a couple of avenues, one of them being through The Bemused, which is a financial literacy brand that I run with my now husband. We've been doing that for a few years now. And like I said, just all things media and money. We have a YouTube channel, online programs, speaking, all that fun stuff. Awesome. Yeah. And you have a bunch of designations. I'm looking at your LinkedIn right now and it it goes and goes and goes and um, props to you. Tell me about the process of that. Like what was the first thing that started it? And then it kind of, it just kind of uh, rolled into more and more and more. Yeah. So as far as designations go, I would say, well, First things first, this is my master's degree, which is kind of the first set of letters after my name. And I knew coming out of undergrad that I wanted to go to grad school. And I knew it also at that point that I wanted to go into financial planning as a profession. And I'm sure we'll get into the whole backstory of how I ended up at this juncture of my life. Um, But I went to grad school to do my master's degree in financial planning. And then the natural next step is most people in this industry will know is getting your CFP certification, right? Your certified financial planner designation. And so I knew for a fact that I wanted that from the get-go. And so that was the next designation that um, I did. I'm also a CPA. That really just came out of my accounting background. I did accounting in undergrad, double major in accounting and finance. And so I was like, well, I have the credits. I have the education all I need to do is sit for these exams and we're golden, right? So why not? And I think it was also a very flexible designation that in the event I decided to go down a different path or just do something else within the finance industry or accounting, I thought it gave me a lot of leverage in terms of mobility with my career early on. And so that's why I went ahead and did that designation as well. And then the last one I did, my most recent one is a charter special needs consultant, which I finished up a couple years ago. And that was mostly for my own benefit and knowledge. I do a lot of work in the DEI space when it comes to financial planning and financial services. And I just felt like the special needs community was just a community that I knew absolutely nothing about. Um, Even when I'm in my coursework, I'm noticing everybody else who's there kind of has a vested personal interest in this. And so I wanted to really cure that blind spot that I had. So it wasn't just learning about the technical stuff, but it was also learning about the community and how we can best help and serve them. Oh, well, I definitely commend you for that. Cause I, um, I have a disability, I have a spine disorder and, um, I kind of like to gaslight myself about it. Like when I'm not struggling with it, then I just like try to forget about it and not interact with it at all. And then when I'm struggling with it, it's like my everything. And, um, I really haven't leaned into, you know, like, who are the other people in my community that have this and like, how does that impact their life? Like I've solved it. I mean, ish for me in my career, but I haven't really, you know, looked into it for other people. So I, I really, I really appreciate that you're, that you're doing that. And I also like, this isn't just you. It's also other advisors. People come on here and get to be like, oh yeah. So I decided to get my CPA as if it's not like a multi-year, like all encompassing thing that takes over your life. It's so cute. The same thing with the CFP. Like I say like, yeah. And then I got my CFP. I like was waking up at like four 30 in the morning to study before work. Like it just, it's so obnoxious. So props to everyone who, 
who really pursues the financial education because it is it is a uh, lot. It's a lot. It is a lot. Yeah, for sure, for sure. A lot of tears and sleepless nights went into all of these letters. So yeah, definitely. So tell me about. I know, like five years ago, you started Snatch My Career, and you've been doing some career coaching in that too. So tell me more about that. Yeah. So. I was basically that friend in college that everybody went to to help them with their resumes. And eventually I was like, I just need to start charging people for this because this is getting a little bit ridiculous. And so I kind of fell into this, this career of helping people with their careers. Uh, So I basically started out, like I said, writing resumes for my friends, cover letters, which a lot of people hate to do. I've learned over the years, but it just came so naturally to me. And I never had it's kind of a little bit braggadocious, but it's not to brag, but it's to be honest, like reflecting on my career experiences, I've never, ever had problems finding a job or ever. I honestly don't even remember consciously ever being denied for a job in my life, which is really interesting. And so I was like, let me lead into this a little bit more and help, help the youngins help us get into our first internships or first jobs post-college. And so I've been doing that for a while and it's been really fulfilling and really fun. And also to blend kind of the career aspect and the financial education aspect because it all kind of ties together at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's so important too, because I think, I mean, I, I came from a really like weird conservative background, so I wasn't like supposed to get a job or go to college or anything like that. So I was definitely completely unknown, but, um, a lot of people, especially my clients, um, you know, who are getting into the field are coming from alternative backgrounds or their, you know, their parents were artists or their parents kind of lived off the grid or things like that. And, and, um, those skills are really taught in school. And so it's very hard to figure out, like, how do I interview? Like, how do I apply to jobs? Once I get them, like, how do I determine, it seems like every company you go to expects you to like promise your firstborn in like the next 15 years to them. So it's like, how do I determine how to advocate for myself? And that's, that's something that is, you can't just Google that. It's, it's really hard. So I really appreciate you leaning into that. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. And then tell me more about, um, what caused you to start the Bemused like four years ago? Yes. So at this point in my life, I had just started my first big girl job, right? I'm working as a financial planner at an established firm, working with ultra high net worth clients. So my average client at the time is like $100 million of net worth. Mm -hmm. And really one of the motivating passions that drove me into this field in the first place was being able to teach my community and teach people who were like me. I did not come from an ultra high net worth background or family wealth of any sort of the imagination. And so really the Bemuse was that outlet for me to take all the knowledge I was learning. You know, I'm in my master's program. I'm working with these clients every single day, learning all these things and not having a way to reach back and to, to help the people who I think needed the help as well. Right. And so that's where the Bemuse was born. I went to my then boyfriend, now husband with the idea and he was sold. And so we've been doing that ever since we started as just a YouTube channel, just sharing weekly videos on different financial topics, but not only just teaching technical knowledge, like, okay, how to budget, how to do this. It's also very much so about our money journey as well, both individually And as a couple, once we got married, and that has been, I think, a really differentiating factor for our channels that people can watch it and also relate because we are pulling back the cover. We are very, very, very big on transparency. So every big life event that happens, 
our viewers are along for the ride. Like we do not hold back. We share all the numbers. They've seen how much we make. They've seen our net worth. They've seen everything. They've seen how much we pay for our house, every line of our closing statement. Like we just love to be transparent about our yeah. own situations because we also feel like that's how people can not only to relate, but they can also learn from our experiences as well. And not just from the textbook knowledge that we might be sharing. Absolutely. Oh, I love that. Cause I think that a lot of, I even know a lot of advisors that are very good at like, they share the past version of themselves. So like mm. once they get after that, over that hump, they're successful. They they're like, you know, when I first started my business, I wasn't making any money and I wasn't paying myself and I was in the red for, you know, six months or a year. And then now I finally got to that point and I can look back and be transparent. It's really hard to be transparent in that moment when it's like, do I feel successful right now? Like mm-hmm. maybe, but not necessarily according to the numbers, like I'm going in the right direction. And, and, you know, we ask of our clients to do that. We ask them to share, share when they haven't finished things, when they're in the messy middle. Um, and I think that it's, you know, there, there's a lot of ego, but also just insecurity about sharing where you're currently at and, um, you know, wondering if people are going to judge you. And I think that kind of speaks to, um, I really like your focus on the bemused, but I, I think that kind of speaks to, we've had this narrative for a while of like, we should only be taking financial advice from the Warren Buffets. We should only be taking it from the super successful people. Um, which is hard because it's like a lot of the super successful people had a lot of leg ups and they aren't in the same situation that we're at. So, um, you know, talk to me about, about like the typical clients that, that work with you at the Bemused. What, what, what demographic do they come from? What are, what are their problems looking like? Yeah. So with the Bemused, like I said, it's really a lot of people who are very similar in age and life stage than we are. And naturally we tend to attract uh, people who look like us, right? Yeah. How many times, how many times do you go onto YouTube and find a black couple in their early twenties talking about money on the internet, right? Like it's yeah. just, it's not a very common thing to see. And also being that transparent about their money situation online and documenting that journey. And so we tend to, to attract like-minded people in that sense. And also people who are in a similar demographic, like I said, younger people, millennials, Gen Z, And we actually have a growing base of like really older people who are just like, hey, we're here too. Like, I know this is for the youngins, but I'm learning a lot. And that's awesome. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it is. It it is very exciting to see. And so I just really love that we're able to reach this demographic through the, you know, the magic thing that is the internet (laughs) these days and really be able to spread our message and to help people through our content and then through our programs as well. Absolutely. So you're clearly, I'm just going to say clearly, you're doing a lot. You're a very high achiever. You've, you've already had a lot of success um, and you're out there being loud, which is really important. How do you, how do you protect your mental health? How do you, how do you take time to, to find peace and, and not even just like with you, but also with your marriage and like your personal life outside of work? Yeah, that is a really good question. And definitely something that's been a journey in and of itself, Right. Because, you know, as your career is progressing, there's more being added to your plate. We've been married for a year and a half, so not that long. So it's also the the big life adjustment that is getting married, that is moving in together, that is, you know, like we moving states like it was just a lot of transition and a lot of stuff all at the same time. And, you know, it's a new marriage. You're trying to figure things out, get your cadence down um, while balancing it all. And balance is really (laughs) uh, probably not the best word to even use in this scenario. It's 
it's just trying to find your way and trying to find your rhythm and the rhythm that works for the both of you. And so that was definitely a journey and definitely not the easiest journey. I hear people say the first year of marriage is the hardest. And if that's so, then I think we're going to be all right. But you know, it was <laughs> yeah. not smooth sailing from day one, just, you know, trying to, to figure all of this out. And so I think it really comes down to intentional conversation um, between me and my partner, you know, what are our dreams? What are our goals? How can we each help each other achieve them? And also prioritizing time for our relationship as well. Because, you know, when you're living with someone, you're in business with someone, it kind of gets, you know, the lines between personal and business often get blurred. And so we had to really be intentional. And and my, my husband is a lot better at this than I am about literally scheduling time for, you know, we are doing this. We're not talking about the business. We're not talking about work. This is the time for us to focus on us. And literally it's on the calendar and that's how we've been able to manage and really try to find uh, some reprieve from just the busyness that is life and doing all of the things. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's one thing that's, that's really hard that I try to intentionally step away of is it's like, you know, especially when you, when you start your own business, they always say like, you're going to be working all of the time and you're going to be super busy. And that's just how it is. That's, that's how it has to be. And I've always like had this, like, back and forth argument with myself of like, if I'm, if I'm setting my goals, if I'm setting my schedule, if I'm really like designing the job and the life that I want, like, why am I purposefully designing it to be as busy as possible and as stressed as possible? Like, is that really what success means to me? Um, and it's, it's really hard. Cause there's, especially with everyone online, there's so much comparison. I see people who are, there's always someone doing another podcast and another Mm -hmm. video and and another blog post and like collaborating with other people. And it, it, um, you know, it, it really never ends unless you like put your foot down and are like, this is enough. I've put enough marketing in, I put enough PR in, you know, um, I put enough content out there and I'm going to be, I'm going to, I'm going to let this be the cadence that I go into. And so that's, yeah, that's something that I, I end up talking to advisors about a lot because it's, it's so much, it's so much. Yeah. And also learning that, you know, rest is something that isn't, you know, you don't deserve, you don't have to deserve or work yourself to deserve being able to rest, right? It's, it's yeah. a necessity. It is something that you need to do. And I've learned that lesson. The older I get, the more I'm leaning into that. And, you know, I talked about calendar blocking and setting aside time. And one of the intentional things that we love to do together is traveling. Yeah. Um, and this year, I think we've traveled more than we have in any year before. It's just the more that the more hectic life gets, the more necessary breaks become. And so that's also another outlet that we've utilized to kind of simmer down, chill out for a bit, regroup and make sure we're not burning ourselves out. Yeah. Yeah. So one thing I I think that you can speak to that I I really wanted to ask you about is um, as a younger advisor, we're seeing a lot of, I put myself in that camp too. We're, we're seeing a lot of the younger people that we're talking to who have very different views on the world. They have very different thoughts about retirement, what work-life balance means, what success means. Um, Tell me about how you're interacting with people who I keep having clients who are kind of like, like you, you ask them about retirement and it's, they're kind of just like laughing. They're like, A, I don't know if I'm going to be able to retire and B, like, I kind of think the world is going to end in like three or four years. Like I have no idea. So tell me how you're speaking um, to, to a generation of people that are just kind of like concerned about the future of the world? Yeah, that's a good question. It's something that I see not just through the people who were reaching through the Bemuse, but also in, in my day job. People have such varying 
opinions and, and thoughts and outlooks on the world right now, the crazier that it seems to become. And so I definitely empathize, right? I, yeah. I definitely empathize. My philosophy has always been, we don't know what's happening in the future, but we want to make sure we're at least secure in the now. And, you know, even if you think this is what might happen, having backup plans, right? Yeah. Never just have one plan. It's like, okay, well, what's going to happen in the event that it doesn't go the way that I anticipated or the way that I expect. So I've always been an advocate of, you know, having a backup plan. My personal like personality has always been one of protection. And like, I'm always the one with like the 3000 year emergency fund. Like I've always been that person just because I really like value that safety aspect for myself. Um, But like I said, always just cautioning clients cautioning people that, you know, it's still important to protect yourself in the here and now and to have backup plans as well. Yeah. A Scoop of Vanilla is brought to you by Stripper Financial Planning. Stripper Financial Planning is a fee-only independent RAA that caters to the unique financial needs of sex workers. Our clientele tend to be self-employed and work online as content creators or in person as actresses, dancers, and escorts. Stripper Financial Planning offers advice-only comprehensive financial planning meaning that we'll periodically go through each aspect of your finances, including investments, but we only make recommendations rather than managing our clients' investments for them. We meet with clients on a monthly basis and charge a flat rate of $3.50 a month with no account minimums. To learn more about Stripper Financial Planning, you can visit our website at www.stripperfinancialplanning.com. Yeah. One thing that has been interesting for me too is, um, you know, kind of like holding, holding the different realities. I remember when I went through like the CFP education, they talk about, okay, this, you know, this situation, if there's this many incomes then it's three months of emergency funds, if it's this many incomes, then it's six months, depending on dependence and all of these things. And what I've realized when I started talking to like real people, like really actually talking to people is, um, so much, so much of it is dependent on your family situation. Like there'll be people that are like, well, like if I told my car, then I would just like call my dad and he would like help me find another car. And then there's other people who are like, if I told them my car, not only would I not have a car, but I also wouldn't have a way to go find a car. Like I would have to like rent a vehicle and all of these steps. And so I've really started to lean into understanding, like when you start to work with groups of people that isn't just the ultra high net worth, that doesn't have just like those rows upon rows of people that they could call when something happens. Like these are all of the safety nets that, that need to be created to actually work through these real life situations. So tell me more about like the safety nets that you talk about with your clients, um, you know, across the, across different life situations. Yeah. And I just want to drill into something you just said, even for people who have, you know, the parent they can call the trust fund that they know they can always tap into, One of the big things that I work toward and that I work with, with my kind of next gen clients kind of on the ultra high net worth side of the spectrum is still developing that agency and independence. Just because you can run home to your parents doesn't mean that you should or that you even really want to, right? It's about developing that agency. People who really are fulfilled in life generally at some point in life learn to 
operate independently of their family resources and safety nets, right? Yeah. So although the safety nets are there, I think it's a really empowering experience to be able to operate outside of those things and live, you know, primarily off of, uh, you know, the things that you receive and that you earn on your own yeah. without, you know, tapping those sources. So that's, that's one thing. Um, but aside from that, you know, regular everyday people who don't necessarily have those safety nets, right? I think that makes having them that much more important. One big thing that I see that always pains my heart is the fact that there's a lot of things out there that are insurable, risks that are insurable that people just don't. For example, um, some people that I know recently had a fire in their apartment and lost everything. And, you know, it's then you see the GoFundMes being set up and you sure. know other sources, which is like renter's insurance, you know, that's yeah. a thing. And, you know, life insurance, that's a thing. And especially for people in good health who are our age, it's so cheap, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's just understanding what are the, the different things that you can do to help protect yourself as well, right? A lot of people, they like to focus on the making money and the building wealth and the this and the that. And they don't even take the necessary time to protect what they've built. And so that I think is a safety net in and of itself is ensuring those risks that you can um, as another kind of protection measure outside of simply saving up money too for a rainy day, which is absolutely important as well. Yeah. Yeah. I was just at a conference where I was on a panel talking about finance and, and I was definitely talking about that because most of the questions were all about, you know, where do we invest? How do we have passive investments? What does that look like? And um, I tend to, especially as a young person, tend to be really on the boring side of like, yes, you can earn money, but also you can lose money so quickly by just having unexpected expenses that force you to make decisions that you wouldn't otherwise make that force you to be like, okay, I guess we're going to sell our second car because we can't afford to pay our, our hospital bill. I guess we're going to pull money out of our 401k because we can't pay for our mortgage, like things like that. And so having those safety nets is so important, but at the same time, it's, it's so aggressively boring that it's really hard to like counteract that you can put all your money into crypto and you can earn all of this amount or you could lose all of this amount. And I'm over here being like, but if you just set aside a little of your savings for this goal, then you'll be on the right track, you know? <laughs> yeah, it is so underrated. It's not sexy. It's not flashy, like investing or crypto or whatever. And even with investing, you know, when I teach investing, I tell people I like it as boring as possible. Like that's yeah. my personal preference, my investing. I, I'm not for it. Like I'm in the profession and I'm really not for it. Just, just make it simple, make it plain. I'm not yeah. here for all the fancy stuff. Um, so yeah, I think it's so underrated. That's why I tell people all the time. I'm like, listen, this is not the flashiest topic. It's not the most exciting, but it's, it's very necessary, right? Like it, it just, the whole system will not work without it. Right. So this is absolutely an essential part of anybody's financial plan is, is establishing those safety nets. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But I think one thing too, that, that, you know, we have the benefit of is I, I really see a lot of younger advisors being able to have those conversations with their clients where they talk about trauma, where they talk about their, their hopes and their dreams and being able to tap in a little bit more to like, why do you want this? Why do you want this type of lifestyle? Why do you want security or why do you not care about security? And a lot of those conversations I've tried in the past to have with, you know, the ultra net worth clients and it's harder they don't want to, they don't want to say that they've been like working on running this company the best that they can for 40 years because they're just trying to make their father happy. You know, um, they don't want to like come to that conclusion. And I think it's a lot easier to, to speak 
um, with a lot of my younger clients to, to speak to the fact that I'm like, Hey, you really seem like you're rushing after this goal. Like, where is that coming from? Like, where are, are you trying to prove your own security? Are you, are you trying mm-hmm. to show you're successful and how, and how can we show that in a way that really like, um, to be all touchy feely, like heals your inner child. Like, how do we speak to that in a way? And I think that that's, that's a lot of where, you know, why I got into this career and, and where a lot of my goals come from is, um, I had an unstable household growing up and I really want security. I want to feel safe. I want to know that I have a safe place to come back to. And that if something bad happened, I have like plans in place, you know? Um, and so I, I think that, um, especially a lot of people who, you know, remember their parents, I mean, even still now, but grew up with their parents, you know, losing their jobs and, and feeling that insecurity and, and not knowing if they could continue in their activities and not being able to go on vacation for years or, or whatever that looks like for your, for your demographic, um, to really, want something else, you know, for their families and, and, and for themselves. So, um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I love that we're getting more touchy feely with our finances. It's really, it's a good vibe for me. It is. And it's also necessary. I, I argue that it's the most important part of your finances. You know, I tell people all the time, like I can talk to you about budgeting until you're blue in the face. If we don't address the underlying motivations and root causes of why we do what we do, it doesn't matter. Nothing matters if you can't implement healthy habits because we haven't addressed the root causes, right? So I, that's always where I start, especially when I'm talking with you know younger people. That's always, always where I start is on money psychology. It's like, okay, what, what is driving these decisions? What is driving these behaviors? Like really get to the root so that we can then move forward with clarity. And so I, I really appreciate what, what you just said, because like you said, and as I acknowledge, I'm the same way, right? With the safety. And that's, that's like a top motivation for me. Um, and people have different motivations and different drives. And so getting to the heart of that, I think, is really the key to unlocking, really the key to unlocking your next step forward in your finances. And it's really underrated and something that a lot of people do not consider at all when we're talking about financial education or uh, financial empowerment. It's, that's, that's the source. And I will say as part of money psychology, I also do talk to people about systemic issues as well, because I feel like that is something that is entirely removed from the conversation a lot of times. And that is absolutely a part of that conversation, right? A lot of times people, you know, they, you know, they have that independent mentality that we're kind of trained to have where it's like, oh, well, I'm here because of my own decisions and, you know, my own bad, you know, choices that have landed me in this spot. And it's like, well, no, it's not entirely your fault, right? Especially if you come from a marginalized community, it's like, here's evidence A through Z of how this is a systemic thing that's been happening for generations upon generations. And there was nothing that you could have done to to change that, right? And so your starting point is going to be much different than someone else's simply because of those facts. And so having that conversation intentionally is something I do as part of uh, the program that I run for the Bemuse. It's it's just really empowering and enlightening to see people have those those light bulb moments around Mm. not just their personal money, psychology and really understanding, ah, this is why I am the way I am. Um, but also understanding the history that goes behind that as well for marginalized groups. Yeah, no, that's, I, I love all of that, that you said. And I was, I was going to ask you a part of that too, just because I have a lot of clients now who come to me who are just like, like, fuck the system, you know, like it's all broken. Like, 
the politicians aren't advocating for me. We know that the banks have been corrupt for years. We know these financial institutions have policies that are, are advocating against me and my group of people and like why like why even play the game and so um i wanted to ask you 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 know how do you approach that not that this is an easy answer but how do you approach that conversation because in for most advisors um i think that are that like understand what's going on it's really uh the game is broken but we're still playing it so this is how you play it but like yeah yeah it sucks so tell me about those conversations that you're having yeah, it's it's really, really true. And I think a common place where this conversation comes up is when you're trying to teach people about credit. It's like, this makes no sense. I kind of have to play the game to win. the. It's, you know, it's kind of a pay to play kind of game. And it's like, yeah, it, it, it makes no sense in certain aspects. A lot of aspects don't make sense. But unfortunately, this is the way that it is. So how I like to respond to that really is yes you know there are certain parts of the game that we all hate right or that you know different people might hate however if you just sit outside on the sidelines not playing the game you're never going to get anywhere either right so I like to approach it with okay let's learn how to play the game to the best of our ability and also do what's within our power to advocate for the rules of the game to be changed right so that's where that advocacy comes into into play so whatever that means for you whether that is writing letters to your you know local politicians or the people who can actually get stuff done it's not going to be something you can probably do on your own but aligning yourself with relevant groups and organizations that are doing the work to do systemic change, right? So it's it's kind of both. It's both and, right? It's learning how to play the game while also trying to change it simultaneously. But you can't just sit outside on the sidelines because nothing nothing good ever happens there. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I, I totally agree with that. And that's, it's, that's a reality that's very hard to hold, at least for me, of just being like, yeah, like I, a lot of these systems are really messed up. A lot of the organizations I work with, I don't like. I don't think that they stand for good things. That being said, like it's, you, you can't really argue against like the IRS. You can't really argue against FINRA. Like it's just, it's there. You, you got to play with the rules and then hopefully, you know, work towards changing them. Um, right. And I, I think a part of that too is, is the industry um, giving space to, to people like yourself who, who are different than the, the status quo of like an old white stodgy man um, like yelling at people in his office. So I, I know that for me, a lot of um, younger advisors, uh, whether they're, they're women or non-binary or from a, a specific minority who don't feel at, at home in this industry will reach out to me and be like, I, I see you're doing good things. I don't, I don't know how to get there too, but I, I want to be at a place where, where I feel accepted and I feel successful. So tell me, obviously you can't answer that for every single person, but, but tell me about your journey of not necessarily that you're there yet, but, but how do you stabilize that for yourself? Yeah. So <laughs> a long, it's, it's a loaded question. I'm like, where yeah. do I start? Um, so my journey really has been an interesting one and it's it's included both mentorship and sponsorship yeah. on my personal financial journey right like i said i love personally serving as a mentor for other especially black women who approach me they either see me out and about or on youtube or somewhere and they ask you know questions about the industry or or giving them information so they can make an informed choice about you know which kind of paths to go down and giving advice and and things of that nature about the career itself and so i love i love 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 doing that because that is what i wish i had when i entered the industry right when i 
came in, I did not know a single financial planner. I didn't even really know this was a thing. I came upon this industry by happenstance, by a random Google search one day (laughs) and just felt like learned about it and just like went off the deep end and fell in love with the whole thing. And so, like I said, I really, really love to, to give back in that way and open more people's eyes to the fact that this industry exists, because I know that I didn't know when I was at that stage of yeah. life, that this was even a possibility or this was even a thing that people do. Um, I still don't know anybody in my personal life who's a financial planner, right? Yeah. Um, you know, there's a few CPAs in there, but never a financial planner, never knew that was an option. Yeah. And then as I progressed in my career, I also sought out mentors, um, not only within the company that I work for, but also within the communities that I feel are not represented, right? So Quad A, for example, the Association of African-American Financial Advisors, I aligned myself with that organization and sought a mentor because I have a mentorship program. And that experience was really great for me, um, especially as someone who every day was not working with other Black women. There are none currently at my (laughs) day job. And so it, you know, it was kind of just a way for me to not just get advice from other wonderful people, um, but sometimes that won't necessarily understand the unique vantage point that I'm approaching things with. And so it was great to be able to seek that out. And then, like I said, meant a sponsorship as well throughout the course of my career, people who could be my advocates, my cheerleaders, and, you know, recommend for different opportunities, et cetera, that helped me to not only advance my knowledge, but advance my career as well. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. That's very, that's very inspirational for our listeners that, that are on the same journey as you that are really trying to find, find a home and, and, and find good, good influence in their life. So that's awesome. Um, I know that, um, one of the reasons why we connected and, and one of your passions and focuses is public speaking and, and really being able to, to share your perspective and, and, um, your experiences publicly. So tell me, what is the idea? Like, who would you love to reach out to you to be like, you would be super excited to be involved in their organization? What does that look like? Ooh, that is a really good question because I feel like there are several. Yeah. <laughs> there are several really great organizations out there doing really great work and reaching the people who I hope to also reach, right? Like I said, I have a really big passion. No, no offense to any other age group, but you yeah. know, like I said, the millennials are doing it and the Gen Z, we they are we are just something something else, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like the first year of like Gen Z's. So I just made the cut. Um, but like we are something else. So anytime I get to speak on college campuses and yeah. you know, speak with other people who are have a lot of passion, a lot of uh, you know, promise and excitement about their future, right? It's like, how can I best help you get there, right? It's like, I'm graduating, getting my first job. Like, what can I do? And it's like, oh, you are in such an opportune point in your yeah. life, in your career, in your trajectory. And I would love to be able to walk alongside you with that. So really, like I said, multiple different organizations, colleges, especially that I, I just love getting in there and working um, with, with the youngins. So yeah, that's like what I love to do most. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that would be a really great. And I also just like, I would be so excited if I saw you on the lineup for like a financial conference. Um, 
I just sometimes, you know, the, the speakers are the same and, and mm-hmm. it's still good stuff, but I'm like, I want different perspectives. Like I want different age groups. I want, I want different influences and, and I want to, you know, hear from, from different demographics. So, um, I hope the people who are listening, reach out to you, um, to book you for uh, different public speaking opportunities. Cause that'd be awesome. I would love to hear more from you. Um, so besides that, tell me, um, obviously the, the muse, but tell me where you hang out the most online. Where can people follow you? Yeah. So definitely the Bemuse is where I hang out the most online, except for LinkedIn. Um, So (laughs) for sure, Instagram at the Bemuse, YouTube is the Bemuse, their website, thebemusetv.com. That's really where you can find all things that we do. We have like a really fun quiz on there that you can take about your money situation, all that fun stuff. And then of course, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. My name is a very, very, very SEO friendly. Okay. So if you just Google my name, I don't even think you need my last name, just my first name. I promise you, you'll find me on the internet somewhere. So that's where you can find me. That's awesome. I didn't think of that because there are multiple Lindsay Swansons. And in fact, I, this is just a side story, but I'm going to tell it anyway, because my podcast, um, every once in a while, I'll message on LinkedIn, the other Lindsay Swansons, and I'll be like, hey, how are you doing? I am competing with you. You're doing really well. I hope someday I can be more successful than you just because I want to be the top Lindsay Swanson. No one ever <laughs> responds to me. I think people think I'm super creepy. It's fine. It's whatever. So yeah, congrats to you for not having to do that. Listen, thank, I think I thank my mama. Thanks for the name. Yeah, <laughs> Very SEO <mama>. friendly. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Um, okay, last question. The most important question, arguably, of the entire podcast. What is your favorite ice cream? Go. You know, I am real basic and I really just love vanilla ice cream, which is very fitting for the Respect. name of the podcast. No, yeah. Yeah. Like occasionally, like you might catch me with like some caramel in my ice cream or something like that. So like, that's my favorite. Like my favorite dessert of all time is apple pie and vanilla bean ice cream. Like it's that combination is just like straight from heaven itself. So that is, that's my fave. That's a classic. To it. Yeah, no, I like that. In fact, I used to, so I don't know, but I used to live in the Midwest. And, and so I was by a lot of Culver's. So like my go-to would just be like a vanilla Culver's ice cream. And it was so, so freaking good. Um, yeah, I love doing this podcast because every time I do, I discover a new ice cream that I need to have. And then I just immediately go and buy it as like, it's a work expense. You know, I don't write that often, do that. <laughs> um, but I, I do have it for me. Um, yeah, so Awesome. Well, it was so great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for your time. And I encourage everyone to follow you online and um, have a good week. Talk to you later. Of course. Thank you, Lindsay. Bye. The information in this podcast is educational and general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, it is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a final decision.